I'm Damien Fowler. And I'm George Sleffo. And this is The Current. The Current is your deep dive into the future of TV, media, and data privacy, all explained in plain English. We talk to the biggest names in digital marketing. And today, we'll hear from Minjay Orms. Minjay is the former chief marketing and growth officer at Visible. In the weeks after we recorded this interview, she left the company. Minjay is an absolute force and seriously, one of my favorite people. While she was at Visible, the company was named the best telecom brand by Adweek. And this is all for a company that's completely digital. We're talking no physical presence or storefronts at all. For a company that's practically invisible in the real world, I had to ask her the obvious. How do you make visible, well, visible? We wanted to kind of follow the customer behaviors and the trends that are out there of everybody pretty much buying a lot of stuff online. So our entire storefront, quote unquote, is on visible.com. And then the fact that we are the newest guy on the, you know, very crowded market means that we're kind of fighting our way to still establish ourselves when it comes to people knowing about who we are. Um, But it's been a really fun journey being a brand new brand and a brand new product, utilizing ultimately what we can do with our name in itself to be able to play with that a little bit. Could you give some examples? What do you do? How do you use that name to, you know, generate buzz around the brand? Yeah. So there are two things. When when I think about brand, right, like brand ultimately is a set of values for you as a business to show up consistently inside and outside. So inside, that means our brand values help inform our culture and how we make business decisions, how we decide to build our funnel, which should be really seamless and easy, how we um, train our customer service agents and how they show up online through social channels and so forth. But the brand value also should be the aspiration for our business in terms of like where and how we choose to show up. That's So that's the channel and the media strategy, as well as the messaging and the creative with which we decide to show up. So. Before the pandemic, uh, a really strong part of our strategy had been experiential, actually, because we decided that since we don't have that permanent evergreen presence out there through storefronts, we wanted to choose specific markets and test some um, ideas around if we showed up physically, how would that grab people's attention and potentially introduce ourselves to new folks? So we decided to, at the time, wrap empty storefronts in nine cities in bright blue, which is our brand color. And it was very simple message of just the color and the wrapping itself being super visible. And then that eventually led to kind of going deeper into specific affinity um, type of things like music as as a great example of something that people already love. So can we actually partner with artists and platforms that already have those communities and big, big passion areas to introduce ourselves as a brand. Now, with the pandemic, of course, that all got interrupted. But actually, one of the most um, proud work that we have done is Red Rocks um, 
work that we did with our partnership here with uh, Denver Arts. And, you know, essentially it's a very iconic venue. Um, it is just an iconic setting with like the red rocks of Colorado behind you as the amphitheater. But of course, you know, folks here also have to figure out how do we create experiences when we actually can't see each other. So it ended up being a three-day virtual event and they did everything from like turning the stage actually around 180 degrees Greece. So what would be usually the seating became the stage from which the artists would perform and stream their performances. And then the red rocks behind them became the digital projection of the comments that were streaming online, as well as, you know, generating some of the like reactions, like people could clap and people could kind of put their input as though the artists could feel the energy in the venue. So, I mean, it just kind of blew out of the water. We, we were hoping maybe like a couple million people watched the performances over three days and then we ended up attracting nine million new people to our business because of this event. The other example I'll give you, Damien, as far as your question is, how do we bring out the voices and perspectives and communities who are often overlooked and sometimes commercialized only when it's convenient to the brands? So it's really about finding those people whose values um, are aligned with us as a business and really, you know, finding ways to build trust and relationships so that, yes, obviously there is a monetary part of like how we partner with people or brands, but we want to work with people because they see our commitment in how we want to show up in the world. So I think we can earn our right to those communities instead of forcing our ways into it. One of the things I'm wondering is, is you touched on all this stuff about brand building and, and, and building this visible brand. Uh, there's people out there who say that consumers view, you know, their cell phone service as a utility. It's they just want good reception and, you know, they want to get the lowest cost. They want to get the most bang for their buck. Can you explain like why building brand value is important when an increasing number of consumers are starting to view their cell phone service as a utility? Yeah, I think there's both the consumer perspective to this as well as the business perspectives to this. So it's it's really about evolving ourselves to meet where the consumers are. And the business um, perspective, I strongly believe, is that building the brand value is the way to also build equity into ultimately your your numbers, right? Like the operations, the infrastructure you're building. And even though people may say things like brand value is very intangible and qualitative and how do you measure success for that versus something like an acquisition marketing or something like what you build in your product experience. But we all saw, especially in the past 24 months, when you haven't built the foundation of who you are as a business, have a perspective around it, have shown up with it consistently, not only in just the moments that matter, but every single day, it falls apart very quickly. I mean, it would be just like in any kind of a personal or professional relationships where I expect you to um, have reasons to come to me in a non-transactional way like, how would I do that if I haven't myself invested in that relationship in ways that are not transactional? 
because we have also trained our consumers to be extremely sensitive to price, extremely sensitive to promotions, for us to be able to win in this business, we have to build the equity and the foundation that is every single day, as well as the competitiveness that we can bring to the price model because of our business model. But the price and promotions cannot be the only way that we incentivize people to switch around and expect them to stick around. This is so fascinating. It's a lot of the brand building you talk about implies that you really know your customers pretty well. I mean, you have a very strong idea of the marketplace. I mean, first off, how did you gather that sense of, of who you're marketing to? And do you know who your ideal customer is? When we first started the business, there were kind of a couple of hypotheses. Why, why do people want to save money above and beyond simply slicing people into like income categories? So wanting to win the next generation of consumers and wanting to understand why it is that people would want to save money became the most important first part of our journey in terms of the research and the um, data that we gather. So doing that work taught us that there is actually very much, as suspected, an intersection between the motivation for saving money and particularly so why is that true for the next gen consumers and i'm talking about like broadly speaking gen z millennials and and the reason being we all and i say we i'm not i don't qualify as millennial but <laughs> we all lived through the 2008 financial crisis um, particularly here in the us and that disrupted a lot of wealth creating first step to your life moments, graduating from high school, getting into college, graduating from college. Maybe you got your first job. Maybe you saw your parents lose their homes. So, of course, it's at a generational level. Of course, it is life experience defined in which you are um given no choice but to kind of think about, well, what I thought mattered in my life and what I thought are the things that I needed to do to create stability in my life actually didn't work the way that I expected or my parents expected it. So understanding those things became our responsibility as a business to ultimately figure out. But the most important thing for us as a brand, therefore, was that we not make judgments about these choices that people are making um, on our messaging or the brand side. You know, you guys are a fairly new brand. And, you know, during the early days of the pandemic, um, most advertisers paused their ad spend and, and linear in particular was was on the decline because there was no sports. But that's when Visible decided that it was going to run its first linear TV ad campaign on, you know, why? Can you can you walk us through that rationale? We always see an opportunity when things seem to be changing up. Um, so this was earlier um, last year in 2020. And, you know, up to that point, we had been largely building our MarTech, our channels and our growth strategy from bottoms up, including, you know, member marketing, influencer marketing, as well as your sort of traditional digital marketing. And that gave us a really solid foundation and the benchmark to think about how do we, you know, start to optimize our cost of acquisition? What are the channels that actually bring us the reach and traffic versus what are the channels that convert? And really thinking about the relationship between the different channels and places. Um, and so we saw kind of that right moment of pause from a lot of brands, consumers, advertisers, 
we saw a little bit of a like you know it was almost like a dust was settling in and it's kind of like hmm, like what does that mean for us so we decided that now was the time for us to tell more people about the fact that we exist and what we offer um but this introduction of our brand to new folks in linear actually be very focused on the value prop in itself and nothing else what was the response like even if you could just share anecdotally like you guys ran this you made a bet i mean basically like you were mm-hmm. you, you went against the grain at this particular moment like what was the result so since it was the first time we ran linear i mean you know i was looking for some of the kpis that i had seen in like my previous jobs right like kind of the evergreen question of like what happens to your performance and acquisition channels when you run some of these above the line channels and the investment in the message. And we absolutely saw the real-time KPIs around the traffic going up, the visit rates going up, the click-throughs going up, some of the right like initial touch points of like, oh, more people are actually coming here. And more importantly, our share of voice in the category level key search terms, as well as our brand keywords, we had a much bigger share during and after um, seeing the lasting impact of that investment. Um, So, you know, I think what we learned are two things. One is we did reap the benefits of, right, like kind of running these spots and seeing our brand awareness go up and our traffic rate go up, all of the top line KPIs, as well as the acquisition translating. But more importantly, it taught us something about how does our media mix work in this kind of a context and how do we potentially repeat the good things that happened here, which then informed our strategy that we did in November with another video asset with Dan Levy. And then we did another one earlier this year. So it gives us a way to be really thoughtful about the investment level because that was the other thing that was to our benefit during that first window was the inventory was more affordable for us to be able to gain. Um, so it's it's it became really about the template and the benchmark for our business to be able to learn from that and repeat the successes over in a pulsing strategy um, that happened three-ish times since then. In the middle of 2020, there was this huge uh, racial reckoning that occurred throughout the country and for the world um for that matter. So when a lot of companies shied away from this, Visible took a stand and the values, you know, they're right there on your about page. Um, Many companies saw this as kind of risky. Um, Why did you do that? And how does that fit into this larger context of branding that we're addressing right now? Yeah, it comes back to ultimately what we as a team and a business set out to do and the commitments that we are recommitting to every single day, which is to say, you know, I I think we would rather that we as a business be really clear about how we want to show up, what values do do we believe in, and how that informs the way in which we build and operate our business to be really clear. As you said, Damien, like, you know, places like our about page, when people search for us, that it be on our social channels. It's part of our content strategy. It's part of like our reputation that is out there. Um, And for that to be part of the consideration ultimately of the consumers who 
find us and and decide to do business with us because we believe then this and this is a bet and I think this is a bet that will pay off, which is to say it's again when you're thinking about the next generation of consumers, not only about the tools and the channels with which you're gaining them, but it's about the how part, the purpose and the values and what you believe and how you choose to show up and hopefully that will be as clear to them as it is to us living through it every single day. You know, one of the things that I think about a lot as a leader in my organization is a lot of these issues are really overwhelming, right? Like, how do you solve for racial inequity? That has been, you know, frankly, the founding truth of this country in America in ways that will be lasting structurally different and consistent institutionally in organizations, including many businesses and brands. And the the truth is, um, you know, these leadership roles do give us the responsibility, accountability, and the platform to be able to do our part, however small that may be in the moment, um, because I, I think it's it's got to come from inside, right? Like, we can't just sit around in rooms being like, oh, man, like, what are we going to do about this? And, you know, I'm encouraged that more of us are talking about some of the, like, numbers and the data points around hiring retention, like, all of that more publicly. But frankly, that's not even scratching the surface. Like, how do you build an inclusive culture in which people of different experiences and backgrounds can actually thrive. So it's, it can't be just about checking the boxes of like, we increase the hiring of these types of people from X percentage to Y percentages, and like, we're gonna be done with that. But you can't just bring people into a new environment that frankly hasn't even started to begin imagining the possibilities of having so many different perspectives reflected in the leadership rooms, the decision-making forums, um, where you have to actually change the organizational behavior around it. So it's about both the external commitment to our customers as to who we want to be as a brand and for that to be the reason for them to be with us, as well as the commitment to our own teams internally so that we show up again inside, outside in a consistent way. I mean, we still have a long way to go and our commitments, the messages, all of that is just a starting point but one that we didn't want to um, miss out on in terms of the window of opportunity these past year um, provided us. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, you said some things that that I would personally agree with. And, um, you know, a lot of times when a new hire is made or when I'm talking to executives like off the record or something like that, and they, they talk about like meeting these diversity goals or, you know, uh, trying to bring a more diverse workforce, you know, at their company. And and one of the common things I hear is just like, you know, it's hard. There, 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 there's really not that many qualified candidates out there. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, I, I can just find someone like that. Like, what's your response to that, that it's, it's hard to find diverse candidates? The podcast safe version? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, my response would be, that you're not looking hard enough. Like the the reason, you know, inclusion and diversity um, isn't going fast enough and it's incremental right now and it's not a step change is because as human beings, 
we do tend to look for comfort zones. We do tend to look for similarities. We do tend to look for shared experiences when we meet somebody, whether it is in a hiring situation or, you know, you're making a friend. So if that is the natural inclination as leaders, especially like you have to absolutely step outside of your comfort zone to meet new people who may not necessarily naturally like easily comfortably fall into your sphere of communities and friends and network. Like I've had, you know, people in my professional network who have introduced me to people that I would have like never had a chance meeting otherwise because they're right, like in a different zone, different level, like, you know, whatever you name it. But these these people in my professional network who also right now tends to be a lot of like people of color and women, they have taken it on themselves to say, if I don't introduce the people in my network to these other people who have no connection naturally to this world, then this is never going to happen in the pipeline and the process. So I, I, I think that's why you see a lot of momentum also picking up on, you know, especially in the marketing community, folks who do have the platform, who do have the voice, who do have the network to really champion um, other people who may not have been naturally, you know, part of those conversations and network doing that. And that, I think, ultimately will get us faster to having more people in the seats of, you know, decision making and be able to fundamentally, structurally, institutionally change things from inside out. Do you think that that acceleration that we saw last year is here to stay? Yeah, I mean, I I think there are kind of two truths to this, which is the and which, frankly, I think have always been true, but it's it's been it's been um adapted and adopted by all of us who are part of this context to be true, right? Because a lot of these types of things are ultimately a social construct. So the more people actually acknowledge and live by those things, it actually becomes one of the truths and like frameworks of by which you behave and make decisions and live together as a society. So that in itself, I think, is ultimately what's behind the acceleration. Um, And so when we think about, right, like brands operating in the consumer's world and and the context, that has always been true, for example, right? It's just that whose truth and context have we accounted for in our brand reality? Whose context and realities have we overlooked when we think about product development or design or marketing? And so that part of it, I am hopeful that again, as we make an effort as a society and businesses to be able to bring more people whose perspectives haven't been taken into account and build inclusive culture, that it's the way in which we would operate inside the business that is more reflective of what is going on out there. Um, and I think the the other thing is like, as I you know shared earlier, it's this is hard right like this is really uncomfortable and it's it's a lot of work and i hope in in kind of the next generation of business leaders leadership styles and leadership profiles that this type of conversation and the commitment be also rewarded in how we think about you know who are really great leaders and what are what are the kinds of impact that they've been able to drive for the business and their communities and the society above and beyond the numbers how do you show up 
that is above and beyond just the transaction that happens in the thing I'm buying. And, and so the, you know, I, I think as I get more, um, hopefully experienced and wiser in, in my own career and life, I, I believe in the role, for example, of marketers more and more deeply in, in needing to continue to be the guardian of consumer insights and truth. And more importantly, bringing that back to the product development cycles and the business operations. You know, people shouldn't have to walk into an airport bathroom and put their hand under a soap dispenser and not get soap out of it because of the color of their skin. Like, it's not like the soap dispenser designer meant to be racist, right? But the idea of someone's reality, I'm thinking about what is like normal, quote unquote, skin color is limited by that person's experience or perspective or who who's in the room or not. And seatbelt designs, like back in the day, that, that used to be molded to men's bodies, which is why even for the same driver experience, same kinds of cars, women tend to suffer higher levels of injuries and would die more frequently from the same kinds of highway accidents because the protection mechanism that was built in cars were not built with their bodies in mind. And I could go on and go on, right? Like their pink taxes and just ways in which all of these experiences in the product and their interactions with people already have bias built into it. And so it's like almost too late by the time you get to marketing process and like talking about what you're going to say to people out there. So in a lot of ways, as marketers, we have to actually look just as much inside and do hard work in there for us to make sure that the brand values and the truth that we want to say out there are realized and delivered in the product experience that we're delivering as a business. And that's it for The Current. The Current is produced by James T. Green and Kiara Powell. Greta Cohn is our executive producer. Rick Kwan is our mix engineer. Our theme is by Loving Caliber. The Trade Desk team includes Cassie Crosby, Yvonne Sikich, and Kat Bessie. The Current is a production of Transmitter Media. And remember... You're not looking hard enough. I'm Damien. And I'm George. And we'll see you next season with more insights from industry leaders. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed our show.